everyone. Welcome to episode 53 of the Stallion Pantate Podcast. I'm Jason Ackerman. And I'm Yvonne Ackerman. And I'm Kathleen Purvis. Oh, wow. <laughs> Kathleen Purvis <laughs> here at Hugo with us our in the studio. Our life is complete. It is complete. We've been telling a lot of our friends that we have a very special guest this week, and we did not tell. We were teasing you pretty majorly. So uh-huh. Kathleen Purvis, ah. the, yeah, the queen of Charlotte. They would have all said who? <laughs> Absolutely oh, no. not. No. They're going to be shocked. Uh, ukulele, dude. Thank I you. Thought, I thought that was like a real guitar when I walked in. I thought I'd become a giant. <laughs> <laughs> well, He's just a very yeah small man. I'm, you're, you're very I'm honored. Yeah. I, like and I said, I, did, I know three. Can I apologize right off the bat for my my croaky, sexy Blythe Danner voice? <laughs> very Blythe Danner. I, I yeah. have been flying a lot, and planes are filthy, and I got something. So I've been desperately sucking down my ginger, lemon, and honey tea here trying to clear out my voice, and it's only worked so a little bit. Well, we are grateful that you're here to talk to us, even when you're not feeling top notch. I think your so. voice is sexy, and yeah. I wouldn't change it. There you go. I've never heard See. it before, so I think it's <laughs> Keep it Actually, like that. not this sexy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I actually feel fine. I just sound horrible. Just the sound, yeah. Yeah. So, well, so, for the, for what the, do you want to talk about, kids? Well, <laughs> well for the two for we, people well, who don't know, let's yeah, we just have give to a little introduce background. The Queen of Charlotte. Okay, and I don't know if that's your nickname. <laughs> I don't know if that's what people call you, but that's what that's what we're gonna call you, and we'll get we'll get the hashtag going. <laughs> yeah, hashtag Queen, Queen of Charlotte. Charlotte. It is. It's happening. <laughs> but we've got uh, Madame. <laughs> I guess would be the Madame Kathleen Purvis. She is the food editor of the Charlotte Observer, past James Beard Award committee member, current president of the Association of Food Journalists, and then there was one other thing that hasn't loaded on my thing, so Yvonne's uh, going to... Uh, member of the Southern, Wa- <laughs> Southern Foodways Alliance. Yes. And she's written three books, and the current one that just came out a month ago? May 7th was the A couple of months ago, Distilling yeah. the South, which I have just finished reading, and it is awesome. And where, if you're going to buy it, should you buy it off Amazon or should you go directly? I send everyone to Park Road Books because I'm a big believer in independent bookstores. Um, you know, my son actually used to work at Park Road Books. He just left to go off to grad school at Chapel Hill. But I, they got plenty of them there. Most of them are signed. Um, Main Street Books and Davidson also give a shout out to them. But yeah, you could get it on Amazon too. So no, you go to Park Road <laughs> no, Books. No, Park Road Books is now, the best. Now we Park do Road have Books a couple. We have one listener in Sweden, so she can't go to Park Road Books. <laughs> yes, yeah. tell her she's she going to have to go to Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, on the Kindle too. Okay. Yeah. But everybody yeah. else, go to Park Road Books or go to yeah. Davidson. It is an actual legitimate book. You can't get it on Amazon. Yeah, and it has a really sweet cover. It does. So I'm you know so what? Even happy. if you don't like to read it, buy it. I know. And put I'm it on your yeah, desk. It's a <laughs> coffee table <laughs> book, right? When I mean, they sent me the gorgeous. cover, I was running around like it was a baby picture. Look at my baby. Yes, <laughs> like, so tell us about the process of writing a book. I mean, how does how does this start? How did it come to be? Yes. Do you see all this gray hair? <laughs> um, I do balance a full-time newspaper job with... Uh, considerable amount of freelance and book projects. Uh, I write for a lot of magazines around the South as well. So this book came together because I had written a book on cooking with bourbon for a uh, UNC Press series uh, called Savor the South. And I did a pecan book, and then they asked me to do another one. I talked them into letting me do bourbon as a cookbook, which was just a ton of fun. And my editor at UNC Press, Elaine Maisner, called me up one day and said, you know, you're so good on whiskey. And I was like, honey, you have no idea. <laughs> uh, so we started, she, they originally had wanted to do a guide to craft brewing, 
But the problem with craft brewing and books is it's changing so fast, you couldn't even print a book before the world would have changed again. So we started talking about craft liquors and what you could do, and we came up with the idea of doing a travel food book with, um, basically I did six liquor trails across 11 southern states. I hit 54 distilleries in 13 months while writing a book and doing a full-time job, which that alone would explain why I sound so croaky. Um, it was it was amazing. It was a great experience. I um, We focused on six to a dozen craft tar- startup distilleries. These are all small places in each of the trails. And then we also have a list at the end of every trail um, of all the other places around that you could find. We also included some recipes, you know, cocktail recipes, that kind of thing. But I, I got to choose what the distilleries would be. And it was it was really neat because for my bourbon book, I had gone to Kentucky and I had really focused on the sort of mainstream, very well-known, the Woodford Reserves, the Maker's Marks, Heaven Hill, all those places. This book was intended to not be that. It is the places that you don't know about that are coming along and they give you a totally different view of what liquor production is in the South now. So what was your biggest surprise of all the ones you went to that you were... Uh, What's the one you want to go back to the most? Oh, so many of them. So I had so much fun. But the one I start off the book talking about is this place I found in West Virginia that's up right on the Maryland border. I mean, it is up there in the hills. They're growing their own lemons in a greenhouse to make their own limoncello, a place called Bloomery Plantation in, uh, outside. It's about 15 miles, 15 minutes outside of Harper's Ferry. And it's incredible. They're doing, now they do 10 different cordials, but they started off with limoncello and they still have this greenhouse full of lemon trees <laughs> in a place that gets all this snow every winter. Yeah, it was that's amazing. amazing. So is it like in Italy where they take them out and put them during the summer and then bring them in during the winter? I'm, I'm, I didn't ask them about that. However, they were inspired by Italy. That's what made them want to do it. The, one of the, uh, the great aunt, I think it was, of one of the, the couple that started it um, had was going to be beatified by the Catholic Church no. in the Vatican. And so they went over to attend the ceremony and had real Italian limoncello and then came back to America and discovered the limoncello being made in America is not as good. And so they discovered that you have to grow your own lemons and zest them by hand. And so that's how they started doing it. That's I, awesome. I know. That's really incredible. I know. Talk about weird Yeah, people... Things think they like limoncello, but they haven't tried the, the real, real stuff. Thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, um, the other good. big surprise for me was the variety of alcohols being made out there. Everybody thinks, because I wrote a bourbon cookbook, every person I talk to says, oh, it's all about whiskey. Well, no. There's a huge explosion right now in rum, craft rum production, um, craft gin production. Saw a ton of really interesting gins. Brandies. You know, I mean, there's just all kinds of stuff out there that people are making, and it's you know, it's very, very personal to them. People make what they love. Yeah. So, so when you're making a cocktail at home, you what mean are, when my husband's making? You, a cocktail. Yes. <laughs> who ju- your husband, who just recently celebrated a birthday? He did. He how, did. Yeah. How long have you guys been married? Uh, thirty-three years. Our anniversary is actually four days before his birthday. Oh, oh my god. So gosh. we had birthday and anniversary all together. Well, congratulations. Yes. That was smart of you because then. Yeah. He has to kind of. He complained at the time. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we got married in my lunch hour. During a hurricane, like three days before I moved to Charlotte, he had to stay in um, Tallahassee to finish school. 
And I got the job in Charlotte and, you know, was headed up here. And he complained when we got married because he said, oh, now everything's going to be a birth, a, a, an anniversary present. I'll, I'll never get a birthday of. present again. No. <laughs> so I have to make sure every year I observe his birthday. <laughs> so Is he a writer as well? Or what uh, no, he is a graphic designer and okay. web designer, um, does some tech writing, that kind of thing. But oh, Did he yeah. do your website? Yeah, he did. Like uh, no, website. actually, he didn't. Oh, said said that too fast. Uh, no, that was Michelle Jones who did my website, my personal website. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So I do have a KathleenPurvis.com. Yeah, that's Ooh. awesome. You got the dot com, and it's a really cool website. <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it? The, yeah, she yeah. did a nice job. Wayne advises me on it though. He's always like haranguing me. You haven't done enough blog posts. So Wade, yeah, yeah. So, so when Wade's making you a cocktail, Wade, Wade's Mr. Wayne. Wayne. Yeah, everyone oh, calls him Mr. Wayne. Yeah, that's, that, like, that's her that's dad's, my dad's name. name. We call him Mr. Wayne. He's we from also Kentucky. Call him Mr. Everybody Wayne. Everybody calls him Mr. Yeah, Wayne. Mr. Yeah, Mr. Wayne. So when he's reaching for the liquor bottles, <laughs> what's he making for you? Generally, my house drink is the old fashioned. Okay. Can't ever go wrong with an old fashioned, and he makes a really great one. Um, he does a hell of a Manhattan. Uh, what's your go-to? Go to bourbon. bourbon. Yeah. yeah, everybody asks me that. Is it top secret? Uh, no, you know we we float around a lot. Um, I'm very very fond of a of one called Wathens, W A T H E N apostrophe S. It got really difficult to find around here. Apparently, I told too many people that I like it. And it disappeared from oh, the Well, shelf. that one sucks. Don't buy that one. <laughs> <laughs> because we're going to go buy them all. <laughs> I was at State Line Elite buying Wayne's Christmas, uh, birthday present last week, and they had it back in stock. So, you know, that one's around. Um, we've been using a lot of Elijah Craig lately. Um, and then Wayne's birthday present, which I would not make cocktails out of, is um, I got him a bottle of I.W. Harper, 15-year. Wow. The oh. last bottle they had at State Line Elite. It's very expensive bourbon, but you would not, you wouldn't want to mix with it. So just straight. Oh yeah. That's a a snifter and a fireside thing. Yeah. What about your cherries for the, you know, Manhattan, like you have a particular brand? Well, uh, cherries can be very difficult to find. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, we generally go with your basic maraschinos. Although I did put up and I'm excited waiting for them to be ready. I made a batch of bourbon cherries. Oh my goodness. That are in my refrigerator right now. When the cherries came in locally, we have fresh. a very sharp, very, very short cherry season right yes. now. And I scored some cherries earlier in the summer and immediately put them up with some bourbon there in the refrigerator right now. Oh, that was brilliant. Just waiting for <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I think we should go back in time. Okay. Oh, I would Let's love all... to. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go back to the 70s? It was so much fun. Uh, legally, legally, we're not allowed to talk about the 70s. Uh, we can... yeah. Believe me, legally, I'm not allowed to talk about the 70s. And honey, I was there. <laughs> there are some warrants. <laughs> there are reasons I'm glad I don't live in the town where I was a teenager. Yeah. But let's talk. Tell us how you got to Charlotte. Okay. Um, I worked for the Tallahassee Democrat. I had gone up to, I started out in West Palm Beach. Uh, my family lives in West Palm Beach, and I had worked at a couple of papers there. I'd been a copy boy and, you know, worked my way up. And then I went away to Florida State and got a job at the Tallahassee Democrat, which was a Knight Ritter newspaper, which Knight Ritter at that time also owned the Charlotte Observer. So in 1985, I got the chance to come up here as an editor, as a layout editor, designing the pages. You know, it was a brutal job. We had six editions a night. It was unbelievable pressure, um, the speed we had to work. Um, And then I kind of slowly talked my way over to the features department and then started talking to them about wanting to be the food editor, which at that time there was no food editor. Food had fallen out of favor. People weren't really reading food. 
there was this sort of window in there where food was a dead subject. And I always thought this was the coolest subject because when you write about food, you write about life. You, you write about how people live, who they are in a very fundamental way. And so I went to the editors and said, you know, give me the food section. Nobody else is, wants to run it anyway. They were thinking the food section was going to die. Um, and they, I convinced them otherwise. And so they gave me the job as food editor because nobody else literally wanted the job. And now everybody wants my job. I know, that's so... <laughs> that's amazing. Well, that's what we always say yeah. is it was kind of rock and roll was the cool thing to follow. And even even for like young people, it was like you, music was everything. And yeah. now it's kind of changed and food is kind of I know, the it's thing. the most bizarre thing. It's sort of, I, I, I have to say I was, I think, smart enough. I was young and dumb and, you know, just getting lucky in my choices. But... I stumbled into something just as food writing started to take off again. And this was, of course, before the blogs, before the websites. Um, but food writing started to come back into favor because we had a role to play in teaching people how to cook again. People weren't cooking for a while there. And then cooking came back, and I got to be a part of that, which was a blast. I, you know, I could write about anything, and people would get into it. So I, I have a lot of years of that experience in me. Were there any particular people you looked up to or kind of wanted to emulate in the food scene at oh, that time? Oh, heavens, yeah. Um, of course, Julia Child. Everybody would name Julia Child. I was lucky enough I got to meet her a couple of times oh, wow. That's before awesome. she died, yeah, late in her life. And she was a really interesting woman and was a huge influence on me um, and what you could do and the way your life could go, you know. Her life was not ever that clear a plan. She didn't write her first book till she was in her 50s, you know, went on to become the French chef. When she was in her 50s and 60s, she had most of her career was very late. Um, but I had also had other people who were writing cool stuff and food. There was a guy named John Lindorf at the Boulder Camera in Colorado. And I was, you know, I would sit down with the wire services and I would read all these people who were doing this very personal form of writing. You know, the thing about food writing is it is really personal. You are talking directly to people. Um, and so I really started looking at people like that, people like Elizabeth David, who, you know, was was so eloquent and so wonderful. MFK Fisher. I read MFK Fisher forever. We're doing what, what are you trying to say I to us? Like, sorry, I felt like Jason was breathing heavily. Uh, <laughs> the it's probably There's me. no other way to say it. <laughs> no, no I, it's I, not you. We have two puds at home, and we... He's breathing uh, like I, one I of the puds. I emulate their breathing. Uh, <laughs> I thought we'd been married long enough where I could like quickly get him to I didn't know what you, that. I, I you haven't were. married 33 years and I can't do that. <laughs> no, yeah. okay, yeah, we don't have a secret language. He probably thought I was just no, throwing gang signs. There's one secret language <laughs> in my house, and that is when I lift a glass, an empty cocktail glass with with uh, with ice cubes in it, and I shake it. <laughs> this is the signal. Mr. Wayne comes running. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Wayne will come running. The old, there's an old Southern yes, joke that we've always used in our marriage, which is about the uh, a uh, sorority sister who was at a fraternity house. And one, she'd brought a friend, and the one other girl was trying to figure out how to get a drink. And she said, well, I'll show you how to do it. And she held up a glass with just ice cubes in it and shook it and said, honey, if there was, a, if there was something in my glass, I'd shake it. And that's so... Uh, so know, Southern. Whenever I hold up the empty glass of ice cubes and shake them, you generally that's a pretty clear signal. But, yeah. Does he wear but a tuxedo that, to serve you? That's what I want to know. He doesn't. He doesn't. But the way it works out is um, my husband was raised by... He was in a family of three sons. My mother-in-law was four foot nine. They called her the little general. <laughs> All of her boys knew how to load a dishwasher. And I had never actually seen a dishwasher until I buried my husband. 
he made sure we had a dishwasher. So he does the he he makes the drinks while I cook, and then after dinner, while I'm with the guests, he's he cleans the kitchen. That's and a great. He cleans the kitchen ten times better than I ever could. So so you're it cooking works out well often, despite going out to eat a lot. I you're do. Cooking I'm often. I am at home by nature a home cook. I mean, everybody in town expects me to go to all these restaurants, and I do try to, but I'm not a restaurant reviewer. Um, I was always a, a cooking writer. I was always about how to cook at home, and I love to cook at home. I, I love my house. I'd rather be in my own kitchen with my friends and my own liquor, where it's a lot cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> see, we don't have any friends, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, see, this is how you make friends. You invite them over and feed them. Yes, feed oh. them and Which give them booze. I do a lot. And, you know, I have to go out a lot more now because I do cover the restaurant scene in Charlotte now. That's more my focus than home cooking because we no longer have a food section or we don't do those kinds of stories anymore. Um, so I do spend most of my time on my free time trying to hit as many restaurants as I can because everybody expects me to know them. But so, I, given a choice, I'd rather cook for myself. So back then in Charlotte, what were the, what were the go-to restaurants? <laughs> Are we talking 1985? Yeah. 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 Oh, Lordy. Not a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, there were places like the Epicurean, the Lamplighter, which at that time in 1985, I could not have afforded. I, you know, I worked a little newspaper job. I didn't make a whole lot of money. Um, so there were, there were some sort of pseudo French places around. And then there were the, the old classic places of Charlotte, you know, the coffee cup, the soul food restaurants, those kinds of things. And, of course, we've always in Charlotte had this big underpinning of Greek restaurants, Greek-owned restaurants. I'm actually working on a story on that right, right now, on the Greek has, history of Charlotte. Most of these places didn't serve Greek food, but they were all owned by Greeks. And so you had Anderson's, and you had all of these kind of dinery sort of places, the Athens. Oh, God, I love that place. You go to the Athens late at night after a club, after a show at uh, the Double Door, and it was, you know, that was... That was Charlotte history in those days. That was Charlotte going out. So did they think that people would would not be amenable to Greek food? Is that why they were... That was some of it, yeah. Yeah. It's a very complicated history. But yeah, they basically these people came in here both before and after World War II, and they made what people wanted to buy, which at that time was, you know, American comfort food. And so you had a lot of places that were doing that kind of food with little Greek touches that people didn't realize were in it. It's a little flair of yeah, Greek here yeah, and there. Was yeah. Beef and Bottle around? Oh, yeah. Then? Yeah, Beef and Bottle, yeah. though, everybody thinks the Beef and Bottle is older than it is. And okay. it, it actually has an older history. The Beef and Bottle started at, by a man named George Fine. And George originally started with what was the Amber House, which is the building's abandoned now, but it's up still on very far up in North Tryon. And then he opened a downtown restaurant called the House of Steaks. It was where Discovery Place is now. And the House of Steaks was a businessman's restaurant. This is where you went for business deals and that kind of thing. And it actually did have what they called a boom-boom room upstairs. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> there were go-go dancers. No there was way. Oh, yeah. That was... Where that Discovery was, Place is now. Where Discovery Place is now. Oh, we have to ask Bernard about And in about 1978, yeah, when Discovery Place was built, they had to tear down the old House of Steaks. And so George Fine went out to South Boulevard, found this little building... And that became the Beef and Bottle, which is actually has only been there since 1978. Is there so. a, a Boom Boom room there? Do we no, know? but do you know that one of the women who was a dancer when she was 16, I, I gather they weren't too picky about legal age, <laughs> um, is now one of the cooks in the kitchen. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, her, yeah. she and her mother both work there still, and she's now like uh, one of the line cooks. 
Oh my goodness, Bernice, I think her name is. Yeah, that's amazing. We've I've actually never been there. I don't. I've never you've been never there. been no, there. No, and I don't know why. I thought of it as being oh. one of the older ones, but it's interesting to know See, that. See, my is, family tradition is that uh, for my birthday, my husband and son always take me to the Beef and Bottle because they love it so much. I mean, I that's just, we hear really good things. We need to. You go. know, it's it's very old school. It's very sort of Rat Pack. I mean, it's you know, it's cream spinach and. You know, good thick steaks. Make sure you get a medium rare and, you know, oh, yeah. get a martini. Yeah, and, that's how we tell if we're going to be friends. If someone orders a well-done steak. Oh, just, I know. It's over. It's over. We're never going out to eat again. <laughs> no, with them. No, that's, I'm with you. That is a, that is a crime against nature. Yes, yeah. but, absolutely. But that's what, I mean, and the thing is, is the beef and bottle has that old school atmosphere because it got all the old movie star pictures and everything everywhere. I love that. Yeah. And everybody thinks that it's been there forever, but actually it's it hasn't. That's it's so just, interesting. It's, but it's a wonderful place. It's one of my favorite. I got to do a story one time for The Observer. They, my, One of my editors was like experimenting. He wanted somebody to write a story by the numbers. And I said, okay, I'll go do be, The Beef and Bottle by the numbers. And so I, I spent an entire night in there and I counted every martini, every steak, <laughs> how many people ordered ribeye, how many ordered New York strip, who ordered them well done, who ordered a medium, who ordered them rare. I got to stand there for an hour and watch the person who runs the steak griddle and and just count every move of how they do it it's it's really really fascinating it was one of my favorite nights there's an art to it there is a total art to it so kind of leads me to my next question oh goodie (laughs) (laughs) which is when you're going to do a story like that how do you start like how do you come up with an idea and kind of execute it ah man um you know i tend to save string for a long time on stories I will have an idea in the back of my head of, you know, I think that's a story. And then I'll spend, you know, and it might be years sometimes because I've been in this for a long time. I'll just start setting aside everything that I think of or see that's relevant to that subject. And then I kind of do a deep dive on it and I start reading everything I can get my hands on. I really sort of, I kind of inhabit my stories. You know, you always hear that that thing about the actors, the method actors who put a, you know, they'll put a certain book in their pocket or you know, wear a certain clothes that, that fit with that character. I, I really sort of start living that subject. And I try and find out everything I can possibly find about it. And then I try and sit down and just write it as clearly and as plainly as I possibly can. Um, I, sometimes I try and write like I'm writing a letter to somebody I really like, who like one of my aunts, you know, who's long gone telling her why this is special, and then I, you know, take the salutation off the top. <laughs> oh, that's so brilliant. What a way to get that tone and that, yeah, you know. Yeah, like... I, I try and have a conversational tone, and to do that, you have to, com- you have, to have a conversation in your head. So, uh, you know, I'm always, I'm always doing that kind of thing. Um, but I, I gather stuff for a long time before I get to that. So do you handwrite notes and then move to typing, or do you, are you initially type everything? Well, as a reporter, I always have a notebook in my hand, and I use a reporter's notebook. I mean, they're those little skinny, long notebooks that reporters use. Um, and then I really do transcribe my notes, which, you know, if I were a breaking news reporter, if I was doing more of that kind of thing, you don't have that luxury. But as a features writer, I have a little more time. And I do transcribe my notes, and usually when I'm doing that, I'm writing chunks of the story at the same time, so I can figure out what I still need, what do I have, you know, does it feel like I have the right information, and then so by the time I go to write the story itself, I'm usually already about halfway there. That gives you a, like a nice rough outline, yeah. I'm sure when some I, of it comes when out. When I first started out, I used to start writing my stories in longhand, I don't have that kind of time anymore, but, you know, when I was younger, that was, I found, I, f- I find writing to be very tactile, 
you know, and it's, it's, I need to have something in my hand. And that's why I love taking notes. You know, I, I'm very specific about my pens, you know, my paper, um, you know, my notebooks, that kind of thing. Yes. I like the physical accoutrements of something. Makes the flow different, I it think. It does. And typing has its own flow. But well, yeah, it's handwriting. Typing, is, you know, I started yeah. out actually working on a manual typewriter, when my, one of my early newspaper jobs. And I can still write, re- type really, really fast. Um, but, you know, <laughs> computers are different. Yes. <laughs> so when you were planning out the newspaper, the SITS editions, were you, how are you, you were literally having to the layout. pick the layout. Dang it. Yeah, yeah, people don't realize that. I mean, when, newspapers used to be a physical job. Yeah. You had to physically build a page. This my husband here. actually yeah. was a, re- that's how I met my husband. He was a uh, paste-up guy um, in the composing room. He was the guy with the, you know, waxing the type and putting it down on the page and using a pica pole to, you know, and a little tiny um, exacto knife to, <laughs> you know, cut commas into periods and things like that. Um, you know, we used to do those things. It, it, all of that art has been lost. And it really is a shame in a way because the yeah. people who did it were very, very good at it. They were, we had artists in our composing room. You know, a lot of art school students from Florida State would go and do that job. And I, as a layout editor, there were certain rules you had to follow. There's a certain format to a newspaper page. And back in those days, we actually did studies that they would call eye track studies on how you look at a page, where your eye will go, how it moves through the page and the flow of stories. And then there was also, in those days, we had, you know, very, very short amounts of time to build these editions. And we had six editions a night that had to be regionalized for different areas. We, you know, used to be able to, the Charlotte Observer used to have a Monroe edition and a Rock Hill edition and all of those things. And sometimes it was meatball surgery, which was a phrase (laughs) they used to use in MASH, you know. It was, you had no time and you didn't have enough to fill that page. Well, you better figure out how. Um, So you had to learn to think really fast. It was really kind of newspaper triage, you know, just slamming it together as fast as you could. And then you tried to make the final edition, the city edition, look nice. Because the local people, your bosses, were all going to see that on their front <laughs> lawn in the morning. So, you know, but it was it was intense. It was a very fast-paced job. So what about typos? Have you ever had, like, a terrible typo oh, story? Lord, yes. <laughs> it oh, happens, Lord, right? yes. You have to tell her about I it. I have the yeah. best typo story ever. <laughs> tell because us. Because I'm a food writer, right? Okay, so I have to type the word bowl, B-O-W-L, all the time. Yeah. You know that the W and the E keys are very, very close together. Do you have any idea how many times I have typed in a large bowel mix? Bowel mix. Oh, no. Yes. That, that seems like it would, yeah, it's not that hard to it. do. Yes. And I sometimes, I used to run searches in, the, in our archive, our electronic archive, to catch and see if I had done it. Search for bowel. <laughs> because yeah. it, it, it's not that usual a word, and it does yes. tend to turn up. But I have had a few times where I have told people to mix things in a large bowel. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, well, so what's your typical turnaround time now? So if they are telling you to go Boy, write up a restaurant, you get... To- I get an hour, maybe. Really? Wow. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, the thing is, is that wow. food coverage in Charlotte has become extremely competitive. Um, it's not just us out there anymore, and we know it. Um, it's not only every blogger, mm-hmm. but, you know, we have this competitor whose name I shall probably shouldn't yeah. mention. Um, <laughs> I don't know who you're talking I about. I can't imagine <laughs> what I'm talking about. And they focus a lot on restaurant coverage yep. because, we, you know, we're all looking for the younger readers. Right. Those younger, involved, online active readers, and they are very interested in restaurants. And so it has become cutthroat. I, 
you know, if, if they write about it before I write about it, there's no clicks left. Right. You know, I have to get it first. If you don't get there first, If you don't get late. there first, you don't get the clicks. And so we've all had to become very tough about that. And I will tell people, you know, chefs, look, if you don't, you know, help me out here and help me write about you, then I have to move on to the next place, the next thing that might be likely to get involvement from people. And I hate that. I hate that it forces the chefs to make these terribly Faustian choices, right. you know? I don't like putting them in that situation. I know it's hard on them. I don't particularly enjoy it. But, but they have to reach out and give you the scoop if they, they want you to get the scoop. They do. Yeah. They do. And, you know, Charlotte Magazine has been a pretty worthy competitor for a while. Yeah, that too, yeah. Um, and now, of course, Kristen Weil has gone off and started a website of her own. Um, you know, we also have an awful lot of, you know, web writers and blog writers, and they're all younger than I am and moving faster than me. So all I can do is figure I've got more context. Um, I have a little more history. I've had a lot of time to see this. When something comes on the scene now and people say, oh, that's never happened before, I know if it has or hasn't because I've been watching for a very long time. Yeah, and when people pick up on trends, you're like, well, this might be a trend that was here you know, yeah. five or ten yeah. years ago yeah. also. Or a new trend or a new, yeah. maybe a new wrinkle yeah. on a very old trend. Yes. You know, I mean, how many times in the last 30 years has someone come to me and absolutely assured me that Southern food is back? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know I've how had, many times oh Southern gosh. food has come back? Southern food has never gone away. Even in other parts changed. of the country, too, you think, oh, right? Because yeah. oh, right yeah. now but it's like in Portland new. and all of that. It's all, happening. None no. of that is new. You go back and look at, at 1930s menus from New York. There was Southern food up there then. I, you know, the South has, has always been a place that fascinated people and drew them. Yes. Now, of course, a lot of what in the 1930s would have been nonsense. I mean, it would have been fantasy if it was the fantasy South. And we've now come <laughs> to embrace a more realistic yes. South. But, you know, all of that stuff was always around. It's never gone away. It just keeps coming back in new forms. Well, so <laughs> one of the things that, and that's, we did not know that. We're two of the bloggers who have been saying, like, Southern food is having a, you know, a moment. Hey, don't put me in. <laughs> it's always having a moment. Yeah, it's always having a moment. <laughs> well, well, what do you think about, like, I mean, obviously we are bloggers and Instagrammers, yeah. but what do you think about, like, you know, people coming in and taking this scene? I mean, even for us, we've been, you know, we've been blogging for three years and it's like, even I can get a little bit proprietary when I see a new food Instagram oh, yeah. pop up every day where I'm just like, well, come on, stay off you know, my lawn. Well, I don't know. <laughs> so I can't imagine how you feel. Well, no, you know, to be honest with you, I actually really love it. Um, I love competition. It keeps me sharp and keeps me on my toes. I love younger points of view. I always promised myself I was never going to be that old lady griping about how life was better when I was young. You know what? Life wasn't better. You were just young. <laughs> it, you know, Things are better now. Well, in yeah. some ways they are. In some ways they There's are. There's a whole yeah. lot going on at Charlotte that's so much more exciting and so much more interesting than it used to be. And I, I make a point of having a lot of young writers, marketing people. You know, I have lunch with folks all the time. Because I reach out to these guys. I want to know what they know. They know they know the world, the digital world, in a way that I don't and want to. And so I really have made a point of being very involved with social media, but also being very supportive of anybody else who comes along. And I think most of these people would tell you that I have... I try and help whenever I can. I try and let them talk to me. I network a lot with these people because I love them. They're a blast. You know, they're so interesting and they're so much more interesting than younger people were in Charlotte when I got here. 
Because back in those days, everybody worked for a bank. You know, if you didn't work in the banks, you didn't do anything creative. And now there's this great creative class in Charlotte, and it's fun. I enjoy them. They keep me on my toes. They keep me feeling younger. So, heck, it's great. That's such a great way of looking at it. But I also know I can crush you in the right. time I want. <laughs> the, the context and the contacts, okay? Yeah. <laughs> All of yeah. that is still I, important. You know, wow. There is always the challenge. I mean, I'm an old news girl. It's, you know, I want to get the story. I want to get it first. Well, and you're just professionally trained. So you yeah. have something that, you know, I mean, yeah, you're coming in with a background that, you know, yeah. no, no one else has on well, these and, things. Well, and you so. have to choose your targets too. There's so much out there and you can get caught up in the latest new place or, you know, the mm-hmm. five new places this week. And that doesn't interest me quite as much. You know, I'd rather look at the one place that's a little more unusual, that's, you know, doing something that nobody's ever done around here before. That place interests me. So what are some of those places? <laughs> uh, well, obviously, the Stanley is very exciting. Oh, yes. That's like, we Paul, think that's yeah. so exciting. I've known, Paul, I've known Paul since he was the chef at the club at Longview. Oh and was gosh. like the first guy in town growing his own vegetables in the back of the restaurant. Ooh. You know, <laughs> yeah, I so remember going out and doing that story. then, yeah. Yeah, it was. He was the first. Um, so I'm really happy to see him move into town. Love what he's doing at the Stanley. It's fantastic um, Really stuff. exciting. Um, the other one I'm really loving right now and I've been telling everybody about is Bardo. Have you been to Bardo? No, we're actually we're going tomorrow night and we've never been. Bardo. Okay. I'm fascinated with Bardo. This is a restaurant that is so not Charlotte. Interesting. It's he came out of Chicago where okay. there's a ton of very creative stuff going on. Took four years to be a stay-at-home dad. Um, and then decided to go back and open his own restaurant. And it's it's small plates. It's a very directed menu. It's I think it's eight savories and three sweets, is generally the way he does it. Um, and there his his Textures, he's really thought out the textures. I'm really into textures. He does some really interesting things with textures, flavor juxtapositions, um, higher end ingredients, some really elevated techniques. You know, he this is not a Charlotte restaurant, this is not a place that we've seen around here before. And so, I'm really hoping he does well. I like, I like what he's doing. Um, and of course, he's got Amanda Britton doing the cocktails. And she has yeah, incredible. <laughs> and she, yeah, yeah she, she's doing some really fun stuff there. Um, Haymaker, you know, very thrilled with the room at Haymaker. I've known William Disson. <coughs> Sorry, the voice is starting to croak. Um, Bill Disson, I've known a long time. In fact, I met Bill through the Beard Foundation. And uh, he has Marketplace in Asheville, which has been a favorite of mine in Asheville for a long time. Um, and so he's brought us a really interesting. Um, composition of Appalachian and Piedmont, you know, very thought out, but very um, well-sourced material. And the room is just as pretty as it gets. I mean, it's, you know, right on Romere Bearden Park, right there with the baseball stadium. You know, it's, I I love going in there. It just, you just feel cool sitting at the bar, you know? Um, So I'm real happy with that one. I'm looking forward to when Gary Crunkleton ever actually gets the Crunkleton here. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Which, you know, it's going to take a while. Everything takes a while in the restaurant business. Um, And I actually was with Gary at a thing in Los Angeles a few weeks ago. And, you know, it's coming along. It'll get here. It'll probably be late winter, I think, before it finally opens. So there will be food, not just cocktails. Yeah. He's doing like a uh, fireplace kind of thing. They want to do a hearth cooking thing. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's working with uh, Zach Goodyear. On the food, okay. um, who used to be Saucemans Barbecue. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so he and Zach are working on that. And then I've actually met the guy at the Cronkle Tent in Chapel Hill who's going to come over and run it, run the bar, and loved him. If you haven't ever been to the Cronkle Tent in Chapel Hill, the original, highly recommend. No, I must um, be great because people were so excited. Oh, Hearing yeah. it was coming Oh, yeah. Here. And Gary's a, he's a personality man. He's a, he's a force of nature all unto himself. Um, you know, I like Zeppelin, um, bid by there, you know, really enjoy it. Um, but then I also tend to go to, you know, smaller places. I mean, Eddie's place is my neighborhood restaurant, you know. We've so, never been there. Yeah. You've never been to Eddie's place? No. Oh, how, so that's on our you list. I not have had the she crab soup at Eddie's place. Okay. And we're that's going to Charlotte week. Institution. <laughs> and it's like two blocks from my house. I can actually walk to Eddie's place from home. So that's our, our hangout place. Well, so you brought up something when you're talking about Bardo as far as, you know, a restaurant seeming like it's not in Charlotte. And we talk about that yeah. a lot, you know, like what makes, yeah, what makes something Charlotte more elevated? Why is Charlotte not yeah. a Charleston? Why, why, why have we not gotten We, we talk a, about that all the time. And it's like I've, I've had an editor every two years for the last seven or eight years saying, is this the time to write the Is Charlotte Here story? Yeah. And then we wait. And then is this the time? I mean, it, you know... <sighs> There are a lot of complicated forces there. For one thing, remember that Charlotte's reason to exist has always been business. This is a town you do business in. And so when you do business with someone, you want to take them somewhere that they can go back and brag to the home office, wow, they really want our business. They took us to Ruth's Chris. They (laughs) took us to the Palm. They took us to the Capitol Grill. So it's always had those restaurants that were about dining to impress, and they wanted recognizable names. Um, what we have seen happening in the last few years is finally a rise in the chef-owned restaurant. But one of the complications of that is that land, real estate prices here are extremely high. It, finding an affordable restaurant space, finding enough workers to help you run that restaurant are very complicated in a rapidly growing city that, you know, ain't a cheap place. Um, you know, people... I think in Charlotte tended to go toward things that were either more traditional or more experienced when they went out because they ate at home a lot. This is a home cooking kind of town. So they went to chains. They went to the higher end chains. Yeah. And they were, they didn't really want to take a lot of chances on spending money. Fine dining is expensive people. It's sorry, but it is. And you want to be careful when you do that, that you're going to get an experience that makes sense to you. And so now we have a lot more, um, a younger creative class that I think is a little more supportive and a little more willing to be supportive of some of these chef-owned restaurants. You know, when, when Charlotte really started to change was the local food movement. You know, I would go to the farmer's markets when I first started writing for about food for the Observer, and they'd make this big deal about the annual opening of the farmer's market on the first day of spring, and you'd go in there and it would all be stuff from Florida. <laughs> you know, it'd be Florida tomatoes and Florida green beans. And, you know, there was nothing local. And then it started to change. You know, with the local food movement came along, we started seeing chef, I mean, uh, farmers like Kim Shaw of Small City Farm, um, like um, the Koenigsbergs of Newtown Farm in Waxhaw. You know, these folks started to bring us things that were locally grown and that were natural to this area. And they were supported by a, a generation of chefs, guys like Tim Grudy. Um, who and Bruce Moffat would be another one who were really getting behind these farmers, and then we started to be able to get that food and cook with it, you know. So there was a more of an explosion of that. And now you go into a restaurant, and if there's anything that's on the menu that's not local, you know, it's like it's it's a shock. Yeah, that's a surprise. You know? the opposite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it, I've I've watched Charlotte go through these sort of changes. 
and come to accept itself a little bit. I, you know, I was, I hate the apologizing about Charlotte stuff. You know, it's a great city, you know, but yeah, we are sometimes the, I often think of Charlotte as kind of, um, like, you know, the treasurer on your high school student council, That was me. you know, everybody, th- oh, yeah, exactly. Kind of nerdy guy, <laughs> friendly enough that everybody elected him, but he's the guy who has to make sure, you know, and he doesn't see, he's not sexy. He's not the sexiest Whoa, guy. <laughs> he's not the guy who gets elected, you know, homecoming Yeah, he's not going to be president of the... Right, yeah, he's yeah, right. the president. But that was my brother. when it's time to have your, your prom, who's going to make sure you got decorations and stuff for punch, right? You got to have the treasurer. And Charlotte has for a long time been that. That Charlotte is the reliable, you know, high school treasurer. And I always liked the high school treasurers. I, they were always really fun guys. <laughs> <laughs> I've just never thought about it like that. It's true. Yeah. Like yeah the can, I, can I keep beating that metaphor and, a little yeah, further? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, <laughs> it's really like actually opening up my mind to the way I'm thinking about it. I mean, yeah, it makes sense because Charlotte and Charleston have such very different history. They have tourism. In yeah, Sh- exactly. You know, people, people go there to, yeah. to have leisure. Not, very few people come here. They go there <laughs> on a for vacation. leisure and they go there with, with money to burn on yes. a vacation. And they're going to spend it in the restaurants. Also, remember that Charleston has a very concentrated, small downtown. And Charleston people tend to dine out. But what, pe- what people in Charleston and the food world now talk about, my friends who are around there, worry that the dining scene in Charleston is getting a little too um, supported by older people. Because mm-hmm. there's a very... Uh, the people who live in Charleston and go to these restaurants tend to be in a certain age group. And that's going to affect what they can do. Um, you know, we've got a younger class here, and we're starting to see it bubble up all around us. Atlanta, everybody compares us to Atlanta. My family's been in Atlanta for generations. I don't want to be Atlanta. But, you know, Charlotte is Atlanta 1985, 1990. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, that was actually a very cool time in Atlanta history if you hung around there. I'm happy to be that. I hope we can stay at that because it's a comfortable city. It's a usable city. You're not afraid to go do things here. It's not so crowded you can't get near anything. You know? Very livable. It is extremely livable. It's a yeah. lovely, you know, beautiful place. I came here in 1985, frankly, thinking I was going to be here four years and then go on to the next bigger paper, and I never left. And I never left because I fell in love with Charlotte. I, I love this place. So you don't see yourself going anywhere? No, not at my age. I'll She's be 60 the queen of Charlotte. February. Where am I going to go? <laughs> Nobody wants me. <laughs> I have had opportunities along the way. Um, yeah. There have been chances, you know, jobs that came open that, you know, at the end of the day, it was, I don't love that enough to want to leave this. You know, I have, I have a history here. I have family here. I've, you know, I wanted my son to be able to say where he was from when someone asked him. Yeah, not like, oh, well, we moved when I was in high school. Yes, yeah, I have to answer that way. We moved a bunch when I was a kid, and I really, it was important to me that he be able to say, this is where I'm from, this is home. So where are you from originally? Uh, Well, all over the South. (laughs) My mother's family's from Atlanta for generations. My father's family is from uh, a little town in South Georgia called Americas, Georgia. And me and my brother and sister were born in Columbus, Georgia. And then when I was about a year and a half old, my dad got transferred to eastern North Carolina to a town called Wilson. And we lived in Wilson until I was 10, and then Dad got transferred to South Florida. And that's how you were. And that's my family still in South Florida. So, yeah, you really are of the South. I am all over the South. Yeah, Yeah. wouldn't have been right for you to go to New York or Chicago. (laughs) No, and, you know, and the thing is with that Beard Foundation stuff, I got the chance to spend a lot of time in New York. I got uh, asked to be on a committee for the Beard Foundation. um, Trying to remember exactly when it was. I think it was 2000. And um, I ended up being asked to stay on 
for several different jobs and committees. I created a couple of awards for them. And so I was going to New York four times a year for 18 years. Just to eat delicious food? <laughs> I mean, this sounds like, is this no, the best job to ever? to work, to work. They, they wanted my bread. They wanted my delicious bread. <laughs> uh, and they wanted my knowledge of the South and yes. Southern chefs and Southern authors and all of those things. But, you know, I got it. I got to go so often that I got a taste of what it would have been like if I had moved to New York as a young person and live there. And I realized that I like New York and people are going to come after me with burning torches. I don't love New York. I mean, New York's okay. It's, it's lovely. It's a fun city. There's lots of fun things to do, but it wasn't my life. I mean, I would always get to the point at the end of these two or three day business trips where I'd be looking at my watch and going, can I go to the airport now? Yeah. So I, ready I, to I really, leave. I'm really, so I'm done. I've done what I want to do. The smell time. of urine was, too yeah. <laughs> you know, I never minded that side, but it, you know, you get older and it's a little harder to run up and down subway steps, you know, yeah. but I, I got to enjoy the best of New York for a good long time. Something I never expected to have happen to me it was totally serendipity. Um, but you know, did at the end of it, I actually went to them this year and said, I'm done. I've got some other projects I want to do. I have another book in, in mind after this one. Oh. Um, you know, I have other, a lot of other things I want to spend my brain power on for a while. So I asked him if I could step down. And, you know, there were people who were like, are you crazy? You know, you're stepping down from that gig? Well, yeah, but I'd done it long enough. Let somebody else have a turn. Get off the carousel and get somebody else have a horse, you know? That's a bold step, though. Yeah, I'm sure it's hard to say goodbye to something like it that. It was, but, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, it, it was bittersweet at first. And then I thought, you know, I spent the last year of those meetings doing everything I wanted to do and walked away thinking I have actually done the best things there are to do here and had a ball doing it. And now going in a new direction will just feel like yeah. you have nothing to regret. And no, just, no regrets. I, yeah. I kind of always live my life as no regrets. Yeah. But I got to go to L.A. a few weeks ago. I'd never been to L.A. What do you think of the food in L.A.? Ah, I was fascinated. I didn't get to eat as much as I had hoped. Um, I got to go to a lot of bars because I was there for a beverage conference called BevCon that started in Charleston two, three years ago. And then they decided she wanted it to have a more national profile. So she moved it to L.A. And I had a book. So, you know, they asked me to come and lead a panel and do readings and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I was really fascinated by it. It looks like, like a really big version of South Florida. (laughs) <laughs> I kept driving Very going, interesting. Yes, I can see like that. This looks like Miami. This looks like West Palm Beach. Yeah, because you know, it's like shopping centers. And it's yeah. like a very, it's so sprawling. It is. Yeah, it it's is. weird. It was, I had a hard time getting my head around it. Um, it, was, it was fascinating, though. One of the things I thought was so cool was that every bar I went to, um, they have these bars that are built like Disney sets. You know, even the old ones are... They're all kind of like a movie set. That's amazing. Because we people, did not see any of those. All of those people who work in the in the movie industry, you know, they all do all these other things. And so you go to a. I went to a bar called Sassafras Saloon where we were doing a uh, a book event for my book, and it was built to look like you were on the set of a western when you went in. It was so cool. The best. Yeah, we got to write that one. There's down. another Sassafras one called Saloon. No Vacancy where we did okay. an event, and it's in Great a, it's in a 1920s hotel. That used to have this very Victorian building that used to have a speakeasy in the back that's now like this open courtyard with a fireplace and fountains and all this stuff. And the way they have it set up, when you go into the hotel, um, you go upstairs and you you're st- you're in a foyer that's dark with just a few doors. 
and you open one door and there's an actress who's paid to lay there and look like she's a hooker <laughs> wait, from the 1920s waiting for the next John to come in. And you're startled. You know, there's like this, you open the door and it's bright and you go, oh, oh, and you close the door. And then it's like, oh God, I'm afraid to open the yeah, other which door. Which door do I go next? <laughs> and then you open another door and you go downstairs and you're in the bar. I mean, it's like, you That's know, mind how blowing. Cool yes, is that? like performance. It's, and it's two so blocks fun. off Hollywood Boulevard. I mean, it's just such a snitch. No vacancy. Yeah, we'll have yeah it's to called No Vacancy. Definitely go time. to No Vacancy. It is so trippy. And so I kept, I kept seeing things like that, you know. It, it was a really interesting place. <laughs> yeah, we want to spend more time in L.A. We are, we're really obsessed with Phil Rosenthal. Oh, uh-huh. and, and oh what's he, it, who's feeding uh, Phil? Yeah, somebody feeding yeah, Phil. Somebody yeah, feed somebody feeding Phil. Phil. He's won a bunch of beard awards for that, actually. He's great. And he, he is, says that yeah. L.A. is his favorite food city in the U.S. right now. Well, because you can get anything. Yeah. You know, I mean, I went out with a friend of mine, Richard Guizza. Do you know Richard? Who, no. he's, he's the guy who set up the Good Eats and Meats group here. Okay. And I wrote a story about him back when meetups first started, you know. And now he is the guy who's getting everybody to go to Croatia for tourism. You know, he's arranging all these trips to Croatia. He was out at BevCon. And so he and I went out the first day I got there, and he took me to his favorite Korean barbecue place. Mm. Oh. And, you know, we just, like, chowed down a Korean barbecue for a couple of hours you know, it was, the it was that kind of, yeah. I mean, any kind of food you want, you can find there. Yeah, the but I mean, I've been to San Francisco a billion times. I've been all over Northern California, never been to Southern California. So I, I just, the whole thing was just, I was kind of eyes wide open everywhere. You know? Everything's new and exciting. Everything's new. I also tell people, you take Uber everywhere. I have heard hip hop now in every language. Yes. <laughs> all the different because ways. Yeah. Every Uber driver had hip hop in his own language. It was a stitch. That's awesome. Well, we so, have. I was uh, going to bring up the the Purvis challenge. Well, oh, I've dear. got. A, I want to ask a couple more. <laughs> oh, questions. He has one more serious question. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so I want. I want to know if if well, actually I have two questions. But okay. the first one, if okay. if a famous chef, if you were if was coming into town, mm-hmm. where would you take them? Depends on the chef. Um, but actually, you know, one who is coming into town is Michael Solomonoff. Oh. Who is um, Zahav in Philadelphia? Yeah. Which, by the way, if you've never eaten there, oh my god! I've was, tried to go there uh, twice, yeah. and it's like it's so you hard gotta to give your right hand. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, the Association of Food Journalists Conference was in Philadelphia last year, and I actually had the chance to go twice and do the tasting menu, oh. and I did it twice. I mean, it amazing! Was, it's oh. just astonishingly good. Um, he is coming in for something at the Jewish Community Center in October. Oh, we gotta um, go to that. Yeah. We're Jewish. So. Well, I'm not sure if it's open to the public. I think it's it's a members only kind of a thing. Invite, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They bring in a special speaker every year and Michael is one. And so I'm probably gonna try and take him to Golden Bakery, um, which is the Syrian bakery that's over in along Albemarle. Yeah. Um we've been there. You know, it's I love that place. I love their pita. You know, I've I've got hummus on my brain. This man Michael makes the best hummus I've ever had in my life. And so I kind of would like to take him to a couple places for hummus tasting. Um, so about, I would do uh, that. What about so, Kebab J? Kebab, I love Kebab J. Love Kebab J. I also love uh, Le Shish Kebab. Yes. Um, you know, that's, those are I, favorites of mine. I love Middle Eastern food. You know, kind of, kind of get true. obsessed about it every once in a while. Always so, sounds good to me. You know, <laughs> I, although, on the other hand, I mean, he probably eats that food all the time and everyone takes him there, so... I'd probably take him to, you know, Zeppelin. <laughs> yeah. We really like Zeppelin a lot, too. Yeah. I'm glad you said yeah. that. Because I've heard a lot of people um, saying some contrary things about Zeppelin. And we've never, I mean, yeah. they do some fun things, which we really appreciate. You know, here's the thing. We no longer review restaurants. Hardly anyone does. Restaurant reviewing 
has disappeared for all, except for a very small handful of people. Um, the reason is, of course, everybody wants the first. They want the first bite. They want to know what the menu looks like. They want to know what the room looks like. They want to be the first one in the door. And in the old days of restaurant viewing, there was a set of standards that you followed. And one of the standards was that you never reviewed a restaurant until it had been open for six months because you let them get on their feet. No one lets them do that anymore. They don't let them find their place. They don't let them learn their kitchen. They don't let them adapt their menu and figure out more what's working. We all come rushing in at that first preview, at that first friends and family dinner. And then we go, oh, well, we know what that place is. Poof, and off we are into the next one. That's a terrible way to treat our restaurants. They're not getting the chance to grow into what they want to be. So I really still love to go to a restaurant after it's been open six months because I want to have I want the people there to have a chance to figure out how to please me. You know, <laughs> that initial judgment is yeah. I it's mean, a it's a rush to judgment. It really is. Yeah, we talk about we that talk a about lot. that a lot because you know we've we've done that. We're guilty of that. And I know another thing about that is we're supposed to go to a restaurant multiple times. Is yes. that part of it too? The old standard was anonymous visits. Always pay for your own meals and always visit at least three times. Yeah. We, have a, we had a set of standards on the Association of Food Journalists website that was a sort of a guideline to critics' rules that you could use to help your paper figure out how to set up its policies. All of that stuff has gone by the boards now, and, it, and a lot of it does make me feel sad. We have thrown some of the baby out with the bathwater here. Yeah. You know, we're, we're such a rush now that we don't let places grow on us. People want to you know, know, is it good, is it bad, do I go, and they, yeah. that's and it. Then, and then <laughs> what do I shoot the Instagram picture of, and right. who's going on to the next place? <laughs> yeah, who cares anymore, I, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, mean, I, think, I like some of that energy, but there are things that we've lost in that. Yeah, that's a really good and point. And I think the cool thing about food is it's different every night. You go someplace, they True. might have, that's what I think our generation really loves about us. Like, you can't, you can take a picture of the food, but you can't eat the food off Instagram. Yeah. And it changes all the time, and... You know, it depends on what ingredients, and it's constantly Who's cooking changing. that night, what yeah. night of the week. And, and believe me, that is the hell of my job sometimes <laughs> because I will write about a place. I have to write based on my own experience. You know, how was it presented to me? And then you go a week later, and you go in a different night of the week, or you go in in a bad mood. Are you yeah, not really exactly. I was going to say, though, it's or the way you come to it all. So, that, there's that. so many yeah. variables. And then people call me up, and how could you tell me to go there? That place was terrible. Well, you know, was it terrible or were you just wanting a place to be terrible. You know, you did you come in with difficult. a certain mindset? Did I Absolutely. come in with a certain mindset. You sure. just were like, I'm gonna love it and then you overlooked things or you that you think it's yeah. gonna be something, it's something yeah. different. Yeah. And I am one of those people that I want to love every place. I you know I look for what I can bias. Like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I do. I know I know that's uh a shortcoming of mine is I want every child to do well. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's like a new, yeah. I want everybody to have a trophy. Yeah, and a new <laughs> chef. And it's like, yeah, I'd be sad if a small business owner, any small business owner in Charlotte didn't make it. I well, mean, and you have to be aware all the time that you are affecting someone's livelihood. You know, this is not a hobby for these people. They've spent thousands upon thousands of dollars to open this restaurant. You know? Yeah, this as, is like, this is you know, whether or not they can feed their you families. can put them out yeah. of business. And that's a terrible feeling. It yeah, really is. A lot I, of I never like that part. Which is why one reason I'm not really a restaurant reviewer. Um, I'm a I'm a food writer because yeah. I didn't want to do it that way. You do more informational write ups yeah. at these restaurants. I'd at this rather point. tell you why the story behind the chef or why is the food like that or yeah. you know, what is there to learn about this than tell you this is good or this is bad because maybe it's good to me but not good to you. 
Maybe it's something I absolutely hate, but you would love it. I, you know, you have Food's to bear all that subjective. in mind. Yeah. Food is extremely objective. Okay. So, one, one more question. Yeah. Okay. I have, yeah, I have one too. <laughs> <laughs> what What's your favorite food memory? Oh, that's that a you've great ever one. Ooh, golly, Moses. Um, it would the always first one that comes to mind. Well, it would always involve my dad, um, and it's probably the first time I ever had a lox and bagel. Mm. Oh. Um, my father loved food, loved to eat, loved to take me out for food experiences. And when we first moved to South Florida, I was 11, we went down to Miami, to Miami Beach. And this was Miami Beach in the early 70s, so it was still Miami Beach. <laughs> um, and there was this old deli there called Wolfie's. Wolfie's was famous. It was you know, a very well-known place. And I loved exotic words. I've always loved you know, words. I'm a writer. I, I, you know, if I've been a writer since the day I was born, I think. And so there, I looked on the menu and there was this thing that was called a bagel and locks. <laughs> and I was like, I want that. I want to know what that is. And the waitress tried to talk me out of it because she said, oh, no, honey, that bagel, it's going to be too hot. You're not going to want to chew it's it. It's not for kids. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the locks is going to be salty. You won't like it. <laughs> and my father was like, uh, uh, uh. She, we have a rule. She can order whatever she wants. But she has to eat whatever she orders. <laughs> and so I get my lox and bagel. The only reason I stopped eating it was because my jaws literally locked up. <laughs> I could, it was like, it was so chewy. But I loved it. And I made my, my mom wrap it up in a napkin and put it in her purse. We were not halfway across the Rickenbacker Causeway. I'm digging into her purse and pull out the other half. <laughs> I'm the ready now. My jaws unlocked. <laughs> I wanted that. And so really a lot of, all of my best early food memories were my parents. I actually have a set of pictures in my kitchen shot by one of my uncles, of my father giving me my, my first taste of a spare rib when I was uh, about 14 months old. I was just barely, well, I guess I was younger than 14 months old because I was barely walking. And my father is literally, there's a series of pictures of my dad holding out this barbecue rib <laughs> and me like gumming it and then looking <laughs> up with this look on my face, you know. It's amazing. That's, my parents were food people before there was a whole... Before there were foodies, there were my folks who loved to cook, loved to have food experiences. That's so that's where you got that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Well, we have to. That's too good. For, I'll t- <laughs> I'm going to ask my other question off the air because I want to end with that because that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, do you want to do a little bit of food news? While I'm yeah. pulling up the notes, I'd like to know, where do you go for a bagel now? Poppies. Oh, yes. heck yeah. Two blocks okay. from my house, yeah. man. We could be, yes. oh, now met, we know where you live. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. First met Ronnie, man. And his mo- Ronnie's mother, uh, Magdalena, came with him when they first opened it. And Magdalena took a liking to me. So, you know, I still I still can't go in there without missing her. She, I think she moved back up to New York. She might slip but, you, or, yeah. or yeah, he'll slip you a bagel every uh, now and again. No, he knows. <laughs> the people who really know me know not to give me free food. I don't. Yeah, because I try to avoid it. Uh, ben, when, it when Ben Philpot was the executive chef at Block and Grinder, which was mm-hmm. two blocks from my yeah. house, I had an arrangement with Ben that if I came in there with my husband or my son, he would always leave me alone and he would never send free food to my table because I have to pay for that food. Oh, yeah, in some way or another, and so you will, I leave yes. it on the tip. And it's like you go out to dinner and yeah. they send free stuff, and then suddenly I'm expecting to pay fifty bucks, and I'm looking at a bill of seventy five or hundred. So got a tip, yeah, because I got a, you know, I have to compensate you for that. I'm not allowed to accept anything. So the guys in town who know me know not to do that. But it happens a lot, I'm sure. But the ones who don't know me try it all the time. And it's also, it also makes my husband uncomfortable because he, he wants to be out with me and talking. And yes. some chef comes over and wants to chew in my ear. And my husband sits there very politely and lets his food get cold. Yeah, you he's know? like, oh, Mrs. So, yeah, when, Mrs. so when you go to a friends and family event, are you not supposed to 
I hardly ever go to those. I only go occasionally. Usually I would prefer to go in before that Mm. and sit down and talk to them about what they're planning to do, get a, get a look at the menu, you know, be able to tell people what's happening. The friends and families, I, I don't really like them. And everyone's so much younger than I am. I sort of sit there and feel like a, you know, everybody's old maiden Nan at the table who wants her around, you know? So I, I don't go to a lot of those. Well, if we're over there, I you can always sit with us. I have. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, we all, I always think those things are awkward. It's, sometimes they're, they're awkward because you have to just make a lot of small talk. And I'm sort of, I'm like your husband where it's like even taking pictures of the food sometimes. I'm like, I just want to eat. Yeah. So even if it's just and the two of us and out. And you're not getting you know? a real taste of what the food's really going to be. And that's yeah. true, too. You can't go do yeah. a rating off of and a friends other, and family. Yeah. yeah. And I work all day. I want to go home at night. I have I have a home yeah. and a life. And, you know. That's I, food 24-7. Yeah, people are always like, exactly. And I if I accepted all the invitations oh, you'd that be, I get. You'd be out every day. I'd be out yeah. every single multiple night days. and I just can't live like that. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So it is multiple times have, a day that yeah. you'd be <laughs> somewhere. I have, I have a gym. I like to go to the gym. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I have to have a life. And see Mr. Wayne. And see yeah. Mr. Wayne. <laughs> Mr. Wayne. <laughs> well, it's just a little bit of um, Charlotte news. So uh, Renaissance Pastry, which is now, I didn't realize they were only going to be at South Park. Uh, they shut down? Yes, they yeah. shut down. They're remaking that um, Selwyn Shopping Center. And so, yes, he did move permanently, okay. although you do know he still has his stand at the farmer's market. And I bought a croissant from him yesterday. A pumpkin one? No. So they have pumpkin one. Pumpkin I got a butter one for me, yeah. uh, but I also got a uh, an almond croissant for an elderly French friend. Oh, but yeah. there, I, I stop by there every Saturday morning and get a baguette from them. The so. one by the airport, that farmer's yeah, market. Yeah, the, yeah, the Charlotte Regional yeah. Farmer's Market. Yeah, That's good to know. Yes. So we just have news here, and we have the source. <laughs> I know. This is the best the news segment has ever been. Let's Tell me something I don't know. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot I don't know. Well, so our mutual friend, Chrissy, Chrissy Beth, you know, off the Eaton Path, uh-huh. she let us know about some news that I didn't realize that Greg Collier was going to be doing the executive chef. Yeah, I, I, she chef. got that from me. She got that from me. <laughs> Straight from the queen. Oh Greg my Collier <laughs> is the yoke in Rock Hill. Yes. He is one of the crazy, most talented chefs we have in this area. If you've never been down there for breakfast, this oh, man we, will change your definition of what breakfast is. Tennessee so fries. Good. And he's he, amazing. After, ever since he closed at at dawn yes. in, um, in Ardsley, I believe it was, he's been trying to find a way to get back to Charlotte. I know of another restaurant building he wanted real bad and didn't get Ooh. it recently. Um, and then he called me last week and told me that he's gonna he's still running the yoke, but he's also gonna be executive chef at La, Loft and Cellar. So, We're excited because yeah. we had a not I so great experience at Loft and Cellar. Loft and Cellar has been struggling to figure out what it wants to be because yeah. it is both a bar scene and a restaurant. And I really like Nick Daniels, who was the executive chef there for a while. I have liked him ever since he was at the Wooden Vine. Oh, and then yeah. he went over to Loft and Cellar. Um, and now I'm, I've been actually been trying to get him to tell me where he's going next. So he's, he's not staying on in like a partnership role. Mm-hmm. He's moving no, on. No, no. Okay. He has left there and he is doing, getting ready to do something else and has promised to let me know as soon as he's decided. Look at this. This is so good. <laughs> We're getting all the best news. Um, the Waterman has an official open date. So October 1st. Yeah. So we're very excited for that. Um, and then Legion Brewing South Park is opening this week. Yeah. And then Pick Your Own Apples started at Windy Hill. At Windy Hill, which <laughs> means the cider garden. Yes. I am so excited. I love their hard cider. I love I it so much. They have the best cider. They I really love do. going there. I just like the donuts and the, uh, the, yeah. the pies. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Fort Mill and I work in Rock Hill now. Oh, okay. So, okay. So the Yalt. Yeah. 
that yeah, he flip goes side, there all the time. Pad, those flip are my side, I love too. those guys, the Fortes. I really, yeah. yeah. Flip side's yeah. amazing. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize. They actually, yeah. they catered our wedding, so we're, we're really Yeah, and fans. you know the place I haven't been that I've wanted to go is Pump House. Have you been to Pump House? I, I've really I literally wanted to go there. Work, I can see it from my oh, office. Oh, can you really? Okay, I've heard good things. I've been trying to get there, but. It's very good. You can't get to everywhere, man. And that's far yeah. for you. I yeah, mean, yeah, with traffic is, but and I, everything. I, I try and keep, you know, I have a running list all the time of places I'm trying to get to or where I've been recently and that kind of thing. Yeah. The cheer wine chocolate cake is my favorite thing <laughs> at the pump house for when you go. Oh, <laughs> I will bear that in mind. Yeah. Well, do you want to do best thing we okay. ate this week with Kathleen? Oh yes. God. This is, <laughs> it's going to be remember, our very, I've been sick and traveling. That's a lot true. I know and, it never tastes know. the same when you have a head know, cold like I know. that. I but actually kind of like didn't even have an appetite for a few days. That's which the for worst. Me is very weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is this feeling? <laughs> best thing I ate this week was actually at my house. Oh, I'm to say that. Some, yes, oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Um, they've had really good Dungeness crab at Publix, the Publix in Cotswold, you know, right around the corner from me. And um, usually we serve it cold with a um, mustard mayonnaise sauce oh. that came from Joe's Stone Crab in Miami. I have a recipe for it. So cold Dungeness crab with a mayonnaise mustard sauce. Do you still have some of your house? Yes, actually, I do. <laughs> Sounds incredible. I'm moving in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're coming over after. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and about, I did wings yeah. on the grill last night. And, wings on the grill? Yeah, yeah. What is it? Buffalo? Do you like our well, barbecue? Well, normally, or? but I got these. I got the big wings from Gilchrist Farms at the farmers market, and I rubbed them down with just like dry rub, and then I grilled them real slow, smoked them, you know, with hickory, and then I threw them in a buffalo sauce. And my goodness, <laughs> you really, you really are the expert. <laughs> Oh. I love to cook. I really do. People cook. Tell you. We need to go cook, cook more. I know. Oh, we need to cook more. See, we're the, we're the restaurant reviewers. We're yeah. the We're like the, the oh yeah, we do that. Yeah. And so but we need a, to have a well, go ahead. Well, well, now I was going to say what's the best thing you eaten this week? Well, so here's the, the problem is I I don't ever think about this ahead of time. So let's have Jason go first. <laughs> okay. So yesterday we had a 1-year-old birthday party that we oh, went yeah. to and we the did. guy uh, David, who's a father, not the one. I was going to say the yeah. one year old. <laughs> he has He's a great chef. He, he is a really good chef, and he made brisket. And Ooh. I actually saw that you think Sauce Man's brisket is the best in town. Uh, yeah. Is that still for true? That for barbecue, for barbecue, for that style. Yes. Um, I agree with you on that. And he made a very good barbecue brisket that I really enjoyed. Yeah, hard to do. Very hard to do. Very hard, and very hard to find a good brisket. Yeah. yeah, and I saw you went to Jeff's, yeah, Gleberman's, yeah, uh, which is that's yeah, Gleberman's kosher market, market. yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's also good. there's a place up in uh, Denver. Um, there's a meat market up there that I drove up to once and got a brisket from him. Oh, that was really good. Yeah, you have yeah. to treat it right, but it also has to be the right piece. It of has meat. to be the right I mean, cut. It's, it's it has a, to have a fat cap. Yes, you yes. can't fake the fat cap. So much pressure on the brisket because yeah. everyone it wants so it to. Good, I mean, it's so, if you can do so a easily good, go tough. You can, yeah. yeah, it can. It's either good or bad. Yeah, there's not a lot of in between. And this one was David. I've, you did a good job. I've done delicious. a lot of barbecue judging over the years. It's one of the things that goes with my job. And I always say that brisket is what separates the men from the boys. Exactly. Anybody can do good pulled pork. Doing a good brisket is hard, people. Amen. So true. Hard. Yeah, pulled pork is just good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but <laughs> you can mess it up, up and it'd still be good. Yeah, right. You know, still it's be, freaking pulled pork. It wouldn't be shoe leather yeah. like brisket. Yeah. 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 Um, the best thing I ate this week, I, I got a whole, you know, one of those sampler boxes of baklava from the Greek Ooh. fest on Friday night. 
And that and a frappe, and I saved the frappe for Saturday morning. So I had the baklava and the frappe, and I just loved. J- Jason was not so big on the crowds. At the crowds. Fest, oh, I it's get. always crowded, but that's yeah. what it's supposed to it's be. It's a mess, but you know, I just I always I love see going. the two people I don't want to see. <laughs> we did. We ran into so many people. It's like people you haven't seen. No, in actually, so long. we saw a bunch of people. I Awkward this small time. talk, but yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been to the Greek festival with somebody from that Greek church? So it's a totally uh, no. different experience because it's a community thing. And they all know each other. These are people who've been around each other since they were kids. And I, I have a good friend um, who grew up in that church, happened to meet her at my water aerobics class. And she goes every year, and sometimes I go with her, and it's like a totally different world. Because they know because everybody. Because everybody yeah. knows everybody. Yeah. A lot of my, yeah. I was a, a teacher until Friday, <laughs> and uh, a lot of my former students would dance there, and so yeah. I know that you know, and they'd just be in those heavy costumes. Oh and, yeah, but they work all year on those dances. Yes, like it's know? really, it's so intense, and they practice so much, and yeah. it's a great community. It is it a makes great you want to be. It's, it's like it's like you know, the there's Jewish a Greek community. school there. Yeah, and uh, it's elementary yeah. only, or no? It? There's a there's an after school program that okay. all of the Greek families in Charlotte send their kids to, so they all learn Greek. Because so, the assumption in the Greek community is you will go back to Greece. Yes. So they have <laughs> to learn to speak settle. and write in Greek. <laughs> and yeah. they all grow up. Talk, you know, talk to anybody who grew up here who's Greek, and they'll tell you about Greek school. <laughs> it's a great culture. It is. Yeah. Well, uh, he has the ukulele in his hand. <laughs> well, <laughs> before we go. Uh-huh. Are you going to break the ukulele? Oh, please I, tell yes, me you will. For, for you, I'll do anything. <laughs> there will be a uh, fine. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to pay for this, but it's fine. Yeah. Uh, so... Everyone should go buy yes. the Queen's book, uh, Distilling, Distilling the, the South. South. Yeah. Go to Park Road Books and support your local bookstore, <laughs> which we sh- I should have done. I ordered it from the Amazon, and it's that was okay. I'm returning it, and I'm going to Park it's Road okay. Shopping. It's okay. Uh, it's all legit. And make sure you go check us out on Stallion Pancake. Maybe, maybe. Uh, what do you think about our logo? <laughs> You might want a shirt. Go yeah. buy a shirt. Yeah. And uh, f- uh, where do we? Where can we find you? I know you're. Are you at Kathleen Purvis on Instagram? Uh, I am. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. All uh, at Kathleen all Purvis. All Kathleen Purvis. Okay. I just keep my name. I you know. Decided. And KathleenPurvis.com. And obviously, we can read you on the Charlotte, the Charlotte Observer. www.charlotteobserver.com. And uh, she writes everywhere, and she's <laughs> the queen of Charlotte. Click, click, click. We Hashtag need to and, the queen and, of Charlotte. Th- thank you so much for coming. Oh, it's a it's, pleasure. So, so much. We I mean, are so, so grateful. I think we could talk for seven hours. If we <laughs> really? To. I'm so Unfortunately, fa- I could. Yes. <laughs> I could sit and chat all but day. But I'm so fascinated about Charlotte. You just, you know everything. So uh, it's yeah, amazing. You're the best. Thank but you. Again. Thank you. Thanks for making the podcast awesome. And everyone else, we'll talk to you next week with a less guest. And I'm sorry for the guest that has to follow this person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>